Hello everyone, it's Mark Godeka here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. This is episode 7, and today we're going to be looking at the character of Simon Peter in the Gospel of Matthew. Today's episode follows on from NT Pod episode 5, Simon Peter in Mark's Gospel in which we looked at the way that Peter consistently behaves the same way in Mark's Gospel, always enthusiastically receiving the word and then falling away when trouble or persecution arises. And I suggested, following Marianne Tolbert, that this is very much the pattern which you see in Mark's parable of the sower for the seed that falls on rocky ground. And bear in mind that Peter's name means something like rock. And I suggested that the depiction comes partly out of the idea that you find in places like 1 Corinthians 1.23, that for certain people, the idea of Christ crucified was a stumbling block, a scandalon in Greek, and that Peter is being depicted like one of these characters for whom the idea of a Christ being crucified is a scandal. It's interesting subsequently to turn to Matthew's Gospel and to ask the question whether the same kind of portrayal of the disciples, and in particular Simon Peter, is continued from Mark, or whether there's something a little bit different. Now the usual scholarly answer is that Matthew is much more conservative about the disciples than Mark is. He's more reverential, he deliberately tries to save them from being depicted as nincompoops or idiots that quite often in Matthew's Gospel they do understand what Jesus is saying and so on. And there is a lot of truth to this view. I mean, when you get to Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi in Matthew's Gospel, you find, for example, in Matthew 16, verses 17 to 19, a redactional addition made by Matthew to his mark and source. And let's just quickly refresh what a redaction criticism is. You go back to NT Pod 3 for a full discussion of redaction, redaction criticism. But it's the idea of an evangelist adding material to their source. And so scholars go, aha, when something's been added to their source, that really must tell us something key about what the evangelist in question thinks. Now, Matthew 16, 17 to 19 isn't in Mark chapter 8 in the parallel version of this same story in Mark's gospel. And in Matthew 16, what happens is, Peter doesn't just say you are the Christ like he does in Mark and then that's it before Jesus goes on to the get thee behind me Satan material. What happens in Matthew is you get this glorious celebration of what Peter has said. He says, blessed are you Simon Barjona because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my father who is in heaven. And he goes on with the famous material about Peter being given the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven and so on. So it's a real commendation of Peter. So scholars not surprisingly point out that Matthew's view of Peter was very different from Mark's. But this is one of those occasions where a slightly closer look at the text can be rewarding and can shift our perspective somewhat, because not long after that warm commendation of Peter in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew retains the material from Mark in which Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, what this means is that it's not just the bit that Matthew's added to Mark we should be looking at. We should also be looking at the bit that Matthew's retained from Mark. And this is always one of my problems with redaction criticism, of which I'm normally a fan. One of my problems with it is that sometimes we spend so long looking at the bits that are different in a particular gospel, that we don't pay enough attention to the parts where, a, where, a, where an evangelist has, has retained something from his source. And sometimes, after all, we might retain something f from our source that we think is particularly good, that we think is, says just the right thing. 
So when you take a look at Matthew chapter 16, what you find is in fact the same Peter pattern that we found throughout Mark's gospel. Because first of all, we get Peter enthusiastically responding to Jesus in the proper way, affirming that he's the Christ, and then getting strongly and warmly commended by Jesus. But then comes Peter's rebuke. Then Peter rebukes Jesus, Jesus is appalled and, and Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. So we have that same kind of Peter pattern in Matthew's gospel that we also have in Mark. Enthusiasm at first, followed by some kind of falling away, some kind of scandalizing when trouble or persecution arises. But is this the kind of thing that we also find elsewhere in Matthew's gospel? Well, indeed it is. Think of another place where Matthew adds material to Mark's gospel. If you think of the pericope on the walking on the water, and I use the word pericope there, and I don't think I've used it in the NT pod before, so let me just explain it. It's a posh Latin term, meaning a unit of text. So the pericope in Mark's gospel, the walking on the water, which happens in Mark chapter 6, is a fairly straightforward story about the disciples seeing Jesus walking on the water. But when you get to Matthew's version of the same thing in, at the end of Matthew chapter 14, there's a whole extra bit about Peter. Now what's interesting is that in this extra bit about Peter, you have the same Peter pattern. He enthusiastically jumps out of the boat and goes to meet Jesus and enthusiastically does the right thing. But then the wind starts kind of hitting him and and he starts worrying and he starts falling away and sinking into the water just like Peter on those other occasions begins doing the right thing but then begins to fall away so why is this going on in Matthew's gospel why do we seem to get the same kind of Peter pattern well I think that Matthew has actually grasped quite successfully Mark's basic characterization of Peter and actually, if anything, has taken it a whole step further so that you don't just have the rather negative bit that the kind of trouble comes about when the, there's talk about suffering, but you also get the enthusiastic part, the bit where Peter does the right thing, accentuated in Matthew's Gospel. Quite often, what Matthew has done is he's read Mark, learnt it and inwardly digested it, and then takes it a step further. He doesn't always agree with what's in Mark's Gospel, but quite often he's a, a successful reader of Mark and wants to take forward what Mark does. And I suspect that the reason for the characterization is, like Mark's reason, a theological one. He is trying to get the reader to see that a Christ who is crucified should not be a stumbling block. So you get to the end of Matthew's Gospel, and that tension of a Christ who is crucified has been resolved, and the last scene with the resurrection and the commission of the disciples goes off without anybody falling away or being scandalized or having any kind of trouble. There is a lesson here, not just about Matthew's Gospel, but also about the use of scholarly methods. And it's to make sure that we are not too extreme in our use of one particular method. So redaction criticism is one of my favorite ways of looking at the Gospels, because you look at the way that a redactor works with his source material. But at the same time, it's important to leaven that method with other methods, like, for example, narrative criticism, which has become more popular over the last generation or so, which looks at the whole gospel as a narrative in its own right and looks at the way that the narrative functions. And sometimes that helps us just to see those things that redaction criticism and other methods haven't let us see in the past. Well, that's the end of another episode of the NT Pod. Thanks very much for listening. You can find me on the web at podacre.blogspot.com. That's P-O-D-A-C-R-E dot blogspot.com. 
can follow me on Twitter at Goodacre, G-O-O-D-A-C-R-E. You can Google for the NT pod, of course. You can find me on iTunes or Duke University's iTunes U. Oh, and as Columbo would say, one more thing. The NT pod is a free podcast and it's going to stay that way. Please don't make any donations to me. But if you would like to make a donation, please consider donating to Amnesty International. I've put a link to Amnesty on podacre.blogspot.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you soon.